You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Andrew Page, g'day mate. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. Owen, I'm pleased to be here, mate. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it's always great to chat. For those who don't know, Andrew and I are mates. We go way back to the Motley Fool days. But um, Andrew, you've since started a website called Strawman, and I bet that some of our listeners are already quite familiar with it. Tell us a bit about Strawman. When did you start it? Why do people go there? Like thousands of people go there. Why? What is what is it? What's so good about this place? Well, it, it's funny. It's it's like a lot of things. It's sort of you have an idea and then it evolves and you pivot and you tweak and that kind of thing. But it was actually launched a public beta version back in early 2018. And the I guess the problem we were trying to solve is that, um, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners know this, there's a lot of stuff online when it comes to opinion on investing and finance and the rest of it. It's just a very noisy place and it's just really hard to know who to trust. You know, everyone's Warren Buffett on Twitter, you know? And so it's like, well, maybe you are, uh, probably you're not. But so we wanted to sort of have a platform where people could share ideas, test their own thinking, all that kind of stuff, but that we just put accountability around it. So you've got like a play money stock market portfolio that you can you can paper trade the ASX and a, it's a bit of experience and hopefully help you gain a bit more confidence with all that kind of stuff, but also to help build a track record and, and build credibility. And so, yeah, and just recently, really in the last few weeks, we've uh, launched Strawman Premium. And the way to think, think about that is really we get rid of all the sort of the tech jargon is we're just an investment club. We're an online investment club. And like any investment club, whether it's around a kitchen table or like us, you're, you're on a platform online, it's just about connecting 
self-directed investors together, sharing ideas, leveraging the, the collective experience and wisdom and intelligence of, of the crowd, and hopefully arming people to make uh, more informed decisions and, and get better results. So that's that's what we're all about. So you can go online, you can get a free account at strawman.com. Hey, why is it called strawman? It sounds like a scarecrow. <laughs> this is like a fundamental belief of mine when it comes to investing is that the best way to improve an investment idea is to challenge it. It's very bruising to the ego, but I do kind of feel as like, look, dude, you're either right or you're wrong, right? And if you're wrong, the stock market is going to show that to you. It will reveal that to you in the course of time, one way or the other, and that's going to result in a painful financial loss. (laughs) So um, if it is wrong, I want to know before that happens. And I would rather that it be my ego that gets a little bit bashed and bruised rather than than my portfolio. So the idea with straw man or the name of straw man is that we want people to to challenge ideas. We so we yeah, put up your idea. What do you think's worth buying? You know, tell us how much do you think it's worth? What's the investment thesis? What are the risks around that? And then hopefully people can come and sort of shoot it down in flames <laughs> in a very respectful, polite way. Um, I'm probably not doing a great job of selling it here, but it is it is immensely powerful. In fact, we we run this thing called the Strawman Index, which just takes the the portfolios of all of our members and just aggregates it together. And it's done something like forty percent compound return um, over the last three and a half years. And I think a big part of that is because of this um, collaborative sort of environment we've got, but one where people can challenge each other again respectfully, kindly, <laughs> but. But with that view in mind of, of trying to trying to get a firmer idea of your investment case, so it's either so as I say, it either knocks it over, in which case you you either sell out or don't invest in the first place. That's that is a huge win, or it helps strengthen that idea. And when and when that's the case, because even when if you've got the best investment idea in the world, it's never going to go up in a straight line, and so it helps you with your emotional fortitude. It helps you stay true when things get scary and volatile. So when you've got a great investment, you buy it at a sensible price. And then the market being the market hands you a big serve of humble pie and it drops 20% the next day, or we have a global pandemic or you know an Icelandic volcano erupts or any kind of external factor happens. It gives you the conviction to actually, I'm not going to sell. This is great. In fact, now it's cheaper. I might even buy more. Whereas you and I both know, mate, that generally speaking, the human nature is such that in most cases, what you'll want to do is you will doubt yourself and you will sell. So strengthening that conviction through challenging uh, is why we, <laughs> is a long answer. That's why it's called straw man. Yeah, I like it. And of course, I like it. And it's great to see you now being such a success with it. Um, I think it's just, you know, minimum viable product, as they say in startup land, has well and truly passed. So today's conversation is an interesting one because we're not actually talking necessarily about stock market investing, which is for the most part our jam. Today, we're going to talk about property. We're going to step over the fence and we're going to talk about the difference between renting and buying. And I thought of you when Kate and I were talking about this because a few years ago, you went on a bit of a, a Twitter, shall we call it rant? Let's call it what it is. Let's call it a spade a spade. And it got picked up. I think it was picked up by the ABC. You got interviewed and there was all this stuff going on. So maybe just to start off with, can you just from a big picture perspective, Maybe you can explain your your journey. Like, how did that Twitter storm come to be? So, uh, like you made, I've been investing in the share market for a long, long time. I walk the talk. I, I, I'm a firm believer. I think it's I think it's just the best uh, arena to to grow your wealth. 
Generally speaking, I think you and I both know this. When when you speak to most people, the share market is seen as a casino. Um, it is seen as something that that is really risky. And there's movies like Wolf of Wall Street and all you know everything in popular culture sort of reinforces that. And let's be honest, I forget who said it. It might have been J.P. Morgan, the, the man. Um, but if you treat the market like a casino, you'll get the same result. And most people do, right? So it's this highly speculative, very risky kind of place. However, as you and I also know, is that if you take it seriously and you approach it conservatively, it's actually really, really great. And all of the studies show this, and um, there's some great charts out there that just show you it puts the share market up against the other investment classes, and it just it outperforms. It always has. It's more volatile. That's the price of admission. There's no denying that. Um, you don't get anywhere, and that's why it's called. It's why it's seen as riskier. Uh, but risk and volatility are two separate things, um, I would argue. But anyway, it's 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 a great vehicle for long-term wealth creation. So I'd been investing for a long time, almost 20 years. And I thought, well, wait a sec, I've got most when you look at when I look at my personal balance sheet, most of my money was in my house, like most Australians. And houses are great. Let's not be negative on, on housing. Housing has actually been a wonderful investment in recent times. But I felt that. Well, actually, I, I've got this debt against it. Um, I could just sell the thing, take all that equity, invest it in the market, again, sensibly and conservatively with a long-term focus, and then and then rent. And then when I, you know, I love a good spreadsheet, as you know, Owen, I, I tried to, I did like, you know, I went way down the rabbit hole and I reached the conclusion that even though rent money is quote unquote dead money, that... Um, Given the extra capital I've now got deployed in the market, on a net basis, I'd actually be better off. In fact, I would compound my wealth faster. 10% on $10,000 is a thousand bucks. 10% on a million dollars is a hundred thousand dollars. So, you know, the, the returns might be the same percentage wise, but the dollar returns could be very different. And that was my hope. And that's actually been borne out by my experience. So, we've, on a dollar basis, we've done better than had we just left our money in, in our house. Uh, and just had a small amount left over in the market. So that was the thinking, and that's why I did it. But the Twitter storm was one of regret because although that has been true, what I didn't factor in, and this is the big mistake that I made, was that, and this doesn't fit neatly into a spreadsheet, is the emotional turmoil that comes with that. What you don't have as a renter in this country is security. So if anyone is renting out there, I'm sure a lot of listeners are, good luck finding a landlord that'll give you a lease that's more than 12 months, maybe two years if you're lucky. So we have had, mate, we have had five houses in seven years. We've never been in a house for more than two years. We get kicked out all the time. Now, let me stress, we're good tenants. I've never missed rent. We've never damaged the property. The reason we kept getting kicked out is because the owner wants to sell or renovate or put their kids in there or something, you know, factors that weren't relating to us. And that's what I didn't factor in. So, and we've got two young kids. We've got school zones and all of that kind of stuff to consider. And just anyone who's moved knows it is the worst thing ever moving. And so that was my regret. And that led to the Twitter storm. It's sort of like, hey, so I sold on my, I sold my house to invest in the market. It's actually worked out well financially. It has not worked out well emotionally because we have no sense of home. <laughs> uh, we are, we feel as like every place we have is like an Airbnb and it's just been really, really frustrating. And so the, the Twitter rant was about sort of talking about that experience and just talking about the, the really, as I see it, silly policies that are around housing and renting 
that really disadvantage renters. And, you know, I think you're seen as a bit of a second-class citizen as a renter. The reason the ABC picked it up, this is the interesting thing that when it was on 7.30, the journo kept on coming back to this idea of like, wait, 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 you you had a house? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you on purpose like decided to sell? Yeah, yeah. like why would I mean that that was the angle that they wanted to come at because it was just seen as like the most no one does that. No, why would anyone ever do that for? It is an ideology in Australia. Home ownership is the dream, um, the great Australian dream, you know. And so for anyone to the story of having people having trouble getting into the market is a well-known one, and in fact, a, a very important story that that needs to be told. But the story of the person who's in the market and uh, and and voluntarily elects to leave the market—what? That's really weird. So yeah, that's that's what that was all about. There's a few interesting things there. Uh, we had one question come through from our Facebook community from David, who asks, "Why even get a house at all?" Or at least, you know, why get an expensive one when you factor in maintenance, renovation, council rates, shares historically win? Everyone's different, but it's the feeling of security, I guess, that it provides a place, especially for kids. Um, so the first one you said before, like about the, the money component of it, and you referenced investing, effectively taking that money, investing in shares, right? Would that trade off, just from a financial perspective, we'll get to the emotional side of it in a sec, but would that math still have worked if you were starting out as an investor? Because a lot of the people that think about housing in a negative light are trying to save that deposit. So they're like, they don't have, you know, a hundred thousand or a million, they have five, 10, 20 grand. Mm. And, you know, I guess, does that, would that, if you were in that situation today, would that influence your decision? Like, would you still go and save a deposit for a house so you can get that leverage so you can get in? Does that make sense? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it does. So <laughs> this is going to be hard to do verbally, but the variables that matter here. So the answer to your question is it depends. So if you're, if you're going to buy uh, a caravan in uh, the back of Burke, it makes a huge amount of sense, right? Because you don't have to take on much leverage. You'll pay it off really quickly and then you'll be rent and mortgage free. And then you'll have all of your disposable income to put into the market. And the math just works out beautifully well. If, on the other hand, you're wanting to buy a three-bedroom brick house in the inner west of Sydney or in a Melbourne or something like that, and you literally need $1.52 million to buy that house, and you have to borrow 95% of that, and you have to pay mortgage insurance, and you have to pay rates, and you have to pay this and you know and all this stuff, then, then probably not. The other big X factor in that is, well, you and I are sitting here right now with interest rates at the lowest levels they've ever been. And if they stay at this level for the next 30 years, then that is a big plus for for property. If it doesn't, let's say interest rates go up 1% or 2%. That changes things massively. Now, if we're at an interest rate environment of 8% and it went to 9%, well, that is less attractive. But when you go from sort of 1% to 2%, you're literally doubling your mortgage repayments. So, so that's the other thing. So, so it depends is, is the answer. I would argue at this point in time that we have, we have this um, as humans, and this happens as much in the market as it does in, in, in property market, is that we have a tendency to extrapolate. So we look at recent history and we just push that forward. And you'll hear people say, our oh, property doubles every seven years. Uh, and you never, you know, property never goes down and all of these kinds of things. Well, actually, that's not true. Um, go to the, I did it. That's another tweet I sent out. I, mean, I went to the ABS and I went back to as far as all the property records they have. But actually over the last 20 years, I think it's, I'm going to forget the figure now, but something like 4%, you know, 
in gross terms, not 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 real terms, not inflation adjusted terms. Still a great investment. Still got the great thing about property is it's got utility. You can live in a house. You can't live in a share portfolio. So there are other considerations with all of that. But it's something that I think is dangerous for people right now to think I can comfortably take on a massive amount of debt and I will double my money. Particularly, I know people who who rent but have an investment property. Now wrap your head around that. And they're happy to do it, even though they're not even making any money on it. In fact, they're losing money. In fact, Owen, they're intentionally losing money because of this strategy called negative gearing. And they do that quite happily because if the price of the house goes up, if the capital value of the house goes up enough, you can actually make squillions. But this is true of anything, right? So imagine if I said to you, hey, Owen, I'm going to take all the money I've got. I'm going to go take out a margin loan. So for those that don't know, a margin loan is a loan that you use to, to buy shares. And I'm going to let, actually, margin lenders don't let you borrow this much, but let's say I found one that did. And I said, I'm going to leverage myself up 95%, like 20 to one. For every dollar I've got, I'm going to borrow another 20 bucks, right? And I'm going to put that all in the share market. You would think you are the craziest fool that ever lived. I don't care what blue chip quality shares you're buying. You know, things, things can go wrong with that strategy. And I would just urge people considering it with property is that there's a couple of things if you're doing that you need to be comfortable with. One is that leverage works both ways. So if property goes down, and believe it or not, I know it doesn't, doesn't feel like it in Australia in, in the last decade or so, but uh, the global experience and the longer historical experience says actually it does go down, uh, that, can, that can wipe you out. You still have to pay back the amount of debt that you've got, but your equity is absolutely gone. So you can lose a lot of money uh, doing it that way. Here's the other thing too. Particularly if, if, if um, when you factor in the real cost of ownership, that is, you factor in all of the money you have to pay just just to keep the house, rates and maintenance and and all the other kinds of things, is that in fact even if it only goes up one or two percent per annum, you're probably still behind as well. You've taken on a huge amount of leverage. There's a massive interest component to that. Interest rates might go up. That's really the talk on the market right now is inflation risk, and it's it's a risk because if inflation goes up, that will mean interest rates go up. So it's just, it's not about me sitting here today forecasting this stuff. I think this is where a lot of economists and, and financial punditry goes wrong. Oh, this will happen and it will happen by this extent and by this date. I, I, I'm not I'm not that smart. <laughs> um, I can't do that. I don't think anyone can. But it is about saying it could. And if it does, then what? So you always, in any investment, whether it's EMU farms, shares or property, I think you should, as an investor, spend a good deal of time thinking about Yes, obviously, there's a bull case there. There's, a, there's an investment case to do something. But look at the case for not doing it and be comfortable with that as well. There, there might be a, an asymmetry here of sorts that if everything goes swimmingly your way, you make a bit of money and that's great. But if things go against you for whatever reason, for any unexpected reason that was foreseen or, or not foreseen, what happens then? And we are at a situation, I would say, just talking in aggregate about the average scenario across Australia, that if interest rates go up by any material degree, um, if house prices fail to increase at the historical rate that they have uh, in the future, a lot of people are going to be in a huge amount of pain. Now, maybe it doesn't happen, and I don't want to be silly enough to forecast it, but if it does, you need to be comfortable with that scenario, particularly if, like a lot of people, you're spending every last cent of savings that you have just to service the damn thing. And this and this is this is something that even under the best case scenario for a lot of people is a 20 or 30 year commitment with a mortgage to pay this off. So you never get sick, you never lose your job, nothing ever goes wrong. Great. 
you'll do okay. And I would say, okay, <laughs> you, you, you're not going to, you're not going to be shooting the lights out. Anyway, that's, that's a long, that's a long answer, but I think you need to think about all those things. Yeah, fair enough. So if you were 20 years old today and you didn't have, or say a 20, anywhere between 20 and 25, right? And you know, you've got a drummed into, you've got to get a house and whatever you got, but you've got 25 grand. So you can make a choice. I could save up for the next three years and buy a house, or I could start investing in shares, knowing that I won't be able to access that money and I'll go rent. Just, just as simple as that, which option would do you reckon you would take? It's a hard one. I think, as I said, what you have to, and this is where I went wrong. What you have to consider is, is the emotional side of things. So if you do decide to go invest in the market and rent, you have to take a, unfortunately, you have to be, have a preparedness that there could be a lot of uh, upheaval in your life in terms of having to move all the time. <laughs> it costs a fortune to move uh, and it's a pain and your furniture never fits the new house, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's, it's different too. Like I think if you're in the market for a two-bedroom unit, there's a, it's a very different market than it is for someone who's after a house. We, we've got two kids, eight and 11. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we wanted a house and that's, as I understand it, that's a very different, it's a much more difficult market than two-bedroom units, which are just falling out of the sky at the moment. They're everywhere. Um, so you probably have a lot more security. So you have to you have to factor all of that in. And if you do decide to go with the property route, and by the way, there's nothing, I've kind of been a bit negative on it. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. I would just say, just if you do go that route, just make sure you don't overstretch yourself because as I, for all the reasons I just said, you don't want to be wiped out. Wait, and now let's let's jump forward a few years. So that was the younger person. Let's say you going back, and this is where we can touch on the emotional side of it again, is the decision that you made to take the chips off the table and invest, would you have made that exact decision again or would you have done something slightly different? I would have done something different. With the hindsight's 2020. What I would have done is I would have kept the house and I would have I would have drawn down against it. Now the, the advantage now that's still borrowing money to invest, but the advantage of doing it that way as opposed to doing it with a margin loan is that you don't experience what's called a margin call. So on a margin loan, if your level of equity drops too much, the broker will just force you to sell your shares. You become a forced seller. But with the, um, the alternative that I'm talking about, it's actually held against the value of the property. So you, so even if you even if you suffer a 50% fall on the market because of a, a bear market or a crash or something like that, you, you're not a forced seller and you can be there for the recovery. In fact, you can probably put more in. So yeah, I, I would have I would have gone that way. And I think if I had gone that way, I think if you add it all up in terms of dollars and cents, I probably would have would not have made as much of a return, but I would have had a much less stressful life. And that's that's something. So just to confirm for people there, there's so typically in a margin loan, the when you get a margin loan through your broker or whatever, it's secured against the shares in the portfolio. But if you use a line of credit, that's the bank is effectively saying, if your shares don't work out and you can't repay your loan, we'll take your house. And that's better in some ways because then if the shares fall, which we know they do because of random gyrations, um, you don't have to then go and sell the shares, which the broker would force you to do if you had a margin loan. And, I, and it's it, there are pros and cons to that, to be sure. But um, if I was going to do it, that's the way I would do it too, assuming that you knew how to invest. I think that's the like the big asterisk here is you understand how to invest and you're prepared to invest that way. I invest. I, inv- I think actually there's a really great analogy. I think I invest in the share market same way I would invest in the property market. That is with a view of probably five years plus, having done a bit of research on knowing 
the quality of the suburb, whether the foundations are firm, whether there's any white ants in there. You know, same same kind of to stretch the analogy. Are there white ants in the balance sheet here, or what, what kind of suburb slash industry is this business? Like, you've got to approach it very, very sensibly, and it takes work, as you and I both know. But yeah, if you you, you really want to you really want to treat it seriously and and properly. There's another question that came through from Sean, our Facebook community, who said, "How do you think about accumulating investments and renting?" And so you can buy somewhere to live and pay a mortgage. So would you prefer to invest in shares and keep renting? What's your ideal scenario? So I guess you kind of just answered that in a way. Ideal scenario would be that we had a European system uh, where there are much more protections for tenants. I, I, honestly, I don't know. It sounds like a bit of a, I've got a persecution complex. Maybe there's a bit of truth to that. But you really, you are really treated as a second-class citizen, as a renter. You know, it's just sort of like... Anytime you ring up the real estate agent because something breaks, it's sort of like, you know, what have you done? It's a really horrible, it's a really horrible experience. So, so if we lived in a in a world where if if someone said to me that, and I, I get this someone, I've actually put this to to all of our landlords. I've said, uh, you've got an investment property. I'm an investor, I get it. You want security, you want visibility of future cash flows. How about this? Let's sign a 10-year lease. And within that lease, I'll put in a clause that says that every year we increase the rent to either in the rate of inflation or the level of average rental uh, income in the city, whatever's the most, I'll do that. So you're, you have a guaranteed clause of rental rises. And I I have security of, of tenure. I know that I, I'm going to be able to live here. And if I know I'm going to live here for 10 years, a lot of perverse incentives come into it. So often- you know, friends or family come around and say, oh, look at this. You've got great space out the backyard. Are you going to put a nice garden in? Or, oh, look at this. You could really make, you could really do a lot with this space. Like, why would I? Why am I going to spend any effort and time and money to plant a nice garden only to be kicked out in a year? And then, and then probably uh, lose a bit of bond because I've, I've dug up the dude's backyard. You know, it's sort of, it's really weird perverse incentives. So yeah, I, I think the system is broken <laughs> in Australia when it comes when it comes to um to to rentals. What would they say when you put that to them? No, 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 we don't want that. No, 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 no. I think the assumption is is you're going to do something stupid, you're going to ruin the value of their home. I don't know. And I would sort of say, well, dude, we pay you a lot of money each week to live here. It's our privilege to do, you know, we 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 don't want to obviously we don't want to destroy your house. It's your asset. I get that. I don't want it. But by the way, I live here. I want a nice, I want a nice home. It's not in my not in my uh, interest to ruin the place either. In fact, I want to I want to make it nicer. But you can't you can't do. It. I mean, we, we've lost money because we put a picture up on the wall, a little bit of paint chipped off, or more often than not, the landlords put some crappy kitchen in from IKEA or somewhere like that. And just in the day to day of, of using it and the handle falls off, you know, you lose bond on that. It's like, dude, this is where I'm tear. This isn't reckless. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not cooking crack here in the house. You know, this is people live here. And you know, every now and again, I might drop a fork on the floor accidentally. And that might be, but that's, that's why we pay you rent to compensate you for all of this. It's just, it's a really, really bizarre scenario. Um, I forget your initial question. <laughs> no, 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 no. another rant. <laughs> that, that, no, that's fine. So um, here's an interesting question. So imagine that you're, a, and I'm using a younger person as an analogy because, uh, as example, sorry, because a lot of the times younger people do feel the, the weight of the Australian dream the most. I think once you move on, once you buy a house and you realize it's not all it's cracked up to be, 
um, you're like, oh, geez, I wish I didn't stress about this so much. Um, here's a question that was sent in. It says, what should I do if I'm in my early 20s and I want to go do things like travel, but I'm being pushed by people around me to buy a home? If you're in that young person's shoes, what would you say to 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 get your parents off your back, to get friends or family? Like- yeah, it's hard, isn't it? There's so much. It's like, it comes back to this, what I said before. I mean, it is it is an ideology here. You know, it is it is a religion in this country. And people are coming at it from a really good place, particularly the Burmans, right? Because they've had such a wonderful experience with, with property and they, they want what's best for you. And they bought when they were young and then now they're sitting on a gold mine and they want you to have the same thing. Now, when they bought, average house price was three or four times average income. Uh, in Sydney and Melbourne, average house price is 12 times average income. So even though they might want to complain that interest rates were higher when, in their day, uh, the multiples were very, very, very different. But anyway, they, they're coming from a good place. So that's the first thing to acknowledge. The other thing I would say is it's not a binary decision. You, you don't, there is, as a Buddhist would say, there is a middle path in all of that. You know, you, you can, you can, you can have the experiences that you want and do a bit of travel and enjoy. I mean, you know, what does Buffett say about, um, you know, you want to you want to invest for the future, but you don't want to do it too focused on that. He says it's like saving sex up for old age. <laughs> you know, you, you've, got to, you've got to enjoy yourself on the way through. Um, so there is a middle path here. I would sort of say you don't want to be the kind of person who blows through their 20s and 30s without ever having saved a cent or having done anything to plan for their long-term financial future. That's You'll regret that. It's It's... I remember being 20 and uh, a long time ago that that was but you know you just you just you just think I'm never going to be 40 or 50 or so it's just it's an eternity away but it, and sadly here's the here's reality you're either going to die before then or you're going to get there right so <laughs> you so so and and if there's one thing that we know in investing you take away all the fancy complex stuff you know the, the best friend that you have is time and time is the friend of compounding and compounding is the friend of wealth and and so you really want to do something now. So yeah, on one hand, you don't want to just blow through it all and have a great party lifestyle and then just be, you know, have a really miserable uh, middle and older life. At the same time, you don't want to be the person who only eats two minute noodles and toasted cheese sandwiches and puts everything in the market. Yeah, you'll be mega, mega, mega rich when you're 50, but life's there to be lived, right? Maybe you get hit by a bus tomorrow. So I think, I think there's a balance there. Whatever you do, just don't put yourself into a corner where you are so overstretched that you are losing sleep because you're worried about meeting your your mortgage repayment or every time on the you know this what is it the first tuesday of every month when the rba meets that you're just desperately what you're refreshing your news feed to see if the rba has lifted interest rates by a quarter of a percent because if it does you you'll be on the street <laughs> you know you do not want that lifestyle unfortunately this this is the problem that the boomers don't understand i don't think is that people in that scenario the way that things are structured at the moment is that the only way to get into the market is either you're privileged enough to come from a family where mum and dad can give you a couple hundred thousand to help you do it, or you get into massive, massive, massive amounts of debt. That's how you get into the property market. Or you just wait and wait and wait and save and save and scrimp and save and save and then finally maybe get a deposit and then buy and then be and then have this massive rock of debt around your ankle for the next 30 years. So it's it's a massive dilemma. It, it is it is a huge dilemma. And there's no there's no easy answers for it. The polys keep keep talking about housing affordability. And there's every single policy and approach under the sun to improve housing affordability. Let's let's cut through the weasel words, Owen. Housing affordability, if you want to improve it, means prices going down. <laughs> that improves 
That's what improves affordability. But if you do that, if you do anything that does anything to impact that, you're going to wipe out two-thirds of the country. You send, you plunge the economy into a massive recession and you get voted out quicker than anything. This is the great unspoken truth that, that is out there. Everyone knows that this thing is broken, but what do you do? What do you do? You either, we've encouraged so many people to sort of leverage themselves. We're one of the high, most highly leveraged property markets in the world, one of the largest property markets in the world, despite our size. The only way to fix it is for prices to go sideways for a long time or to prices to pull back a little bit. And that, that is going to hurt a lot of people. So you so you let people access their super. So you give grants to first time. You do all these things. And, but there's a real perverse outcome to that, which is all that does is is make houses less affordable, but drives up prices, you know? So it's kind of, it's it's a really diabolical situation. I, I don't have any easy answers. I would say the easiest answer for a lot of those people in that situation, and this is kind of the conclusion that I've come to a few times, is just invest. It doesn't matter where you do it or how you do it, maybe except I probably wouldn't put it in something like cryptocurrencies, but um, go out and invest. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, a little bit's fine. But, um, you know, don't be saving a house deposit in shares cryptocurrency or anything else that's risky. And if you do go down that road, just find comfort knowing that you are actually doing something with your money. So it's not, even though you might be renting or whatever, you are actually doing something. And that is actually like emotionally, that's a really positive feedback loop. And it might just be the case that it takes you 10 years to buy your own home, but at least you're investing and you're making money, you're putting money to work in the meantime anyway. And I think another way people can do it is if there's like in a couple is, have your brokerage account set up. So you're buying shares and you're investing that way in ETFs or whatever you're doing. And then also have a, a property account that just you just automate just a little bit of money every month and just so it feels like you're getting ahead. Um, because the one, I guess the one big concern for a lot of people is that the, because of that leverage you talked about earlier, the property market seems to be getting away faster than you can save up. There's one more thing I want to talk to you about here, mate, is um, when you think about where you are now, have you considered buying a house? Yes, I have. Um, so uh, I'd like to really do it in the next couple of years, but it's the same. So I'm 46, Owen, um, depressing but true. And Very young. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks for saying. It takes a little lot longer to get out of bed uh, these days, I'll say that much. Well, my, my personal situation is such that having started the business, um, it's actually much harder to get alone. That's the other thing. The other one is, is that I'm actually on a pretty good thing with my investments. And the last thing I want to do is sort of, it would depress me a lot to have to sell everything and then put that into a house because I would gain security, but then I would lose this, this beautiful compounding machine, which is just doing really well for me. So I'm trying to personally get to a stage where I can do it without taking on too much debt. I'd, I'd like to, ideally, I'd like to just buy a house without having in cash. Bank. Yeah. yeah. Just buy it in cash. Isn't that unheard of? That just doesn't happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, and I'm, I'm, I, I might be in that situation if, speaking of extrapolation, but I might be in that situation in a couple of years. If I, if the market continues to be kind to me and, and that way I can sort of have my cake and, and eat it too. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's exciting stuff, mate. That's exciting. Can I just say though, just it ain't going to be a, a waterfront property with six bedrooms. You know, it's it. <laughs> what do you mean? You're you're the founder of a startup and you're a professional investor. Surely it is. No, 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 no. And, and you know what? I'm actually I'm actually a really simple person. I don't I don't the trappings of of well, I don't need a fast car. I don't need a boat. I don't. I'm really. I just I just want a nice place that we can raise the family. Three bedroom brick home, bit of a backyard. 
job done, mate, that I'd be as happy as Larry if, if I had that scenario. I'd much rather have that but and and be in a situation where there's no excessive leverage or risk that's on the that can wipe us out. So no matter what happens in the economy, I can sleep pretty soundly at night knowing that that I'm not going to, you know, lose everything if if interest rates go up or, you know, so the great thing about a house and having a, a small or non-existent mortgage on it is that think about that the return there is insane because what you would otherwise be spending on paying an interest or paying on rent is in your pocket. It's a guaranteed return. I've got a couple of friends who who have houses and they've got these massive mortgages against it and they have an investment property. And then they go, oh, maybe I've got a bit more equity, I'll buy another one. Again, this sort of stacking things on top of each other works really well in, a, in an appreciating housing market. But my urging to them is actually, you know what, why don't you just spend that money and pay off your mortgage? Because be, being in a situation where you're mortgage-free, that is, you know, so some of these guys are paying 800 bucks a week in interest. Like, wouldn't you rather, I mean, think about having 800 bucks in your pocket each week. That you could invest or do whatever you work. That 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 is a return in exactly the same way as anything else would be considered a return. So anyway, each each to their own. But I that's the life for me is is a low stress life where I can I can live mortgage or rent free. I think that's that's the key, and um, it's I think it's good. Like you talked about, like people listening to your story would probably think that you're a bit jaded and a bit you know, <laughs> critical. I think I think the yes, word is critical, but I think that's right. You know, sometimes well, I, in my experience with a home too is like, you know, I don't really care for property, to be honest. I'm going to share my story in a few weeks. So maybe that'll be cathartic for me too in a few weeks. But, um, you know, I'm only one year into our house buying journey and I never felt the urge to buy one. And I've got to admit that as great as it is, you know, being able to just knock down a wall if I really want to do that, knowing that the consequences probably take about five weeks to patch up, much easier to knock things down. <laughs> I, I think from a spreadsheet, from a financial perspective, it's always made sense to me to be an investor in the stock market. This has always made sense. Or businesses, it doesn't have to be, you know, that's what we're doing when we invest in the stock market. Or you can go and invest in a private business, whatever. Um, that has always made more sense to me. But um, I also understand the emotional side of things and then where that comes from, particularly with a family. It was also really interesting to hear how you uh, kind of backed out the numbers. I think one of the things that we always get asked is, you know, saving on more on a mortgage versus investing in shares. I think the big consideration that people have to take into account there is just the tax, where you where you pay tax and where you don't. If you pay off your mortgage or you have an offset account, which is probably the way I'd do it, have an offset account. You don't pay tax to save money on interest, but if you invest and you get dividends, you do pay tax on capital gains and in dividends. Um, that's a fair fair trade-off. But yeah, I, we've covered that in other podcasts as well with the mortgage broker, Chris Bates. But mate, I, I think this is awesome. I think we also didn't do a great job of introducing Strawman at the, at the top of the show. I think people should go there at strawman.com. You can create a free account. So for any of our investors in the audience, we've got tens of thousands of them. You can go on a Strawman. It costs you nothing to get a free account. And you can have, like Andrew said, a play money account, basically, where you can pick which share that you heard about or which ETF that you heard about on the stock market. And you can say, I'm going to put 10,000 of my fake $100,000 in that and see how it goes. I think it's a brilliant way to introduce people to the, the stock market. And it's so much better than the ASX game, which is like six or eight weeks. You can see how you would have done over years. Like you said, three and a half years is where you're up to now. So you can try out that really daunting thing, which is investing. Maybe you're thinking, do I save for a house or... Do I put my five or $10,000 in the stock market for the next three to five years? Let's go and 
start that journey by let's just open a straw man account and and see what it feels like. So yeah, strawman.com is where you can find out more of what Andrew's been working on. Mate. Can I, can I just quickly add a couple, yeah. very, I know we're short on time, but just add a couple of quick things uh, on that. So we've just transitioned to this premium model. So the, the free site is, is um, you're going to be a little bit restricted in terms of the content that you can see there. So we're in the process of, of polishing that up. So please bear with us. What you can do, which, which you've alluded to, is you can paper trade the market. The other thing that you can do is that you can, you can use Strawman as an investment diary. And I, I really think that's more important in, in a lot of ways. What, what the, the share market can teach you the wrong lessons. I've got friends who started investing just by happenstance at the start of a bull market. And it's very easy to convince yourself that you are Warren Buffett. So when it's that rising tide lifts all boats kinds of things. And you can, in the share market, you can be right for the wrong reason. So you can buy a share and it can do really well, but for no reason that you deserve to do well on it. It was just luck and right place, right time kind of stuff. So what I would encourage you to do if you, um, unfortunately, premium is, is closed at the moment. We're not accepting new members. So if you go there and you open up a free account, by all means, have a bit of fun um, trading the market. But I would encourage you to, on these reports, write down the reason that you're buying the company. Write down the risks as you see them. Write down some notes, maybe on manage all the kinds of things that you might want to look at. And by the way, this is—I know you've covered this extensively with all your podcasts, so we're not going to go into it now. But do that as an exercise; it will be far more valuable than just saying, "Oh, after three months, I happen to be up on this," you know, highly speculative stock, which can give you a false sense of confidence. Yeah, treat it seriously and make sure that the things are going well for the reasons that you thought that they were going to go well, not because it just happened to turn out that way. Because you—you can learn the wrong lessons. In this game yeah but property doubles every seven years andrew so of course it does. these rules yeah. matter um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> these rules of thumb um wonderful mate it's always a pleasure to speak with you so thanks for coming and sharing your story really appreciate it always a pleasure thank you thanks for tuning in to this episode of the australian finance podcast where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all australians If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, 
active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.